Good morning, church. Wow, it is so great to be with you once again from wherever you are watching today. I know and believe that God has something for you. His word is still very relevant and still brings life. And I can't wait to share it with you. We are ending our series called Called. And this series is about calling and what God is calling us for. The first week we spoke about the fact that we are called more for the who than we are called for the do. Meaning, it's not really about what you do in this life, but more about who you are becoming in this life in Christ Jesus. The second week we spoke about the fact that we are called for the three S's, salvation, sanctification and service. Last week we spoke about the primary principle of calling and that is that the first call in creation to us was to reproduce according to our kind. Now today I'm ending this series off and I'm very excited to share this message with you and I am speaking about the fact that we are called to divine destiny. With my whole heart I believe that me and you have a divine destiny that God has in mind for us. There is a very, very specific task that God wants me and you to complete in this life. But I want to speak to you very specifically today about your calling, your vision on your life because I believe that God has planted with within each and every one of us the seeds of a divine destiny and I believe that once a human being grabs hold of this concept of divine destiny there is no stopping <laughs> this person there's no stopping you there's no stopping me there's no stopping us from becoming the people God has created us to be. There's no stopping us from becoming the person that God has created you to be. There's no stopping the person that grasps this concept of divine destiny from living a life that honors God in whatever you may do in this life. There's no stopping this person from living a life worthy of the calling of God. There's no stopping this person from living a life fully. I, I almost want to say living a full throttle life, wholeheartedly in embracing the crucified life of Christ and that the, the life that he has called me and you to live. And I want to talk you through a very, very familiar Bible story today. And you can page with me or just follow on the screen. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to talk you through 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17. It's about a man called 
David. Now David is probably most famous for killing the giant called Goliath. And I love the story because everyone knows the part when David, the shepherd boy, kills the giant Philistine, Goliath. But what a lot of people do not ever take the time to talk about is the space between David's great calling of divine destiny and when God called him to be the king of an entire nation, nobody talks about the space between that moment and the time that progressed when he actually slayed the giant in front of the whole nation. Nobody speaks about the space of waiting in between the calling and the actual moment of destiny. A lot of people don't talk much about this process that brought David from humble shepherd boy to great king over a nation. And it was a process, this period I'm speaking about, was a process of service. Serving. It was a process of working out his calling in the process of everyday life. Interesting thing about David is one day, it was election year <laughs> uh, in Israel. And uh, the prophet Samuel came to David's house. The Lord sent him there. And at David's house, all of David's brothers were selected to kind of parade <laughs> for the prophet. Everybody in the household except for David. Now, it's very interesting to me that um, it, it, it didn't work, election didn't work the same way as, as we know it today. It worked very differently in Israel back then. God voted the kings in and God voted the kings out. Uh, there, there were no boxes, there were no long queues you would wait in to really uh, go and cast your vote. Uh, there were no ballads, no parties, no political leaders, no corruption. God voted in, God voted out. And God had chosen David, but no one else knew who God had chosen at this specific time. Nobody knew that God chose and called David to be the future king. You know the interesting thing about a lot of you, about me and you, is frequently in life I know that you are overlooked. Most of the people in your life, just like David, overlook you for the divine destiny that you have been called for. I mean, think about it. All of his brothers being paraded. Not even his own dad thought <laughs> that he was king worthy. That he was the one being called, being anointed by the prophet 
of God. But just like David, God has picked you out from the foundations of this earth. And he has had his eye on you even before you were born. God has had his eye on you even when you were in primary school, awkwardly growing up, just starting to grow armpit hairs and starting to smell funny. God has had his eye on you this whole time with a divine destiny in mind, with a calling in mind on your life. God has been busy shaping you. He has been busy forming you. He has been busy creating experiences and relationships in your life. He has been busy even shaping the dysfunction of your family into something great that will be useful in the present and the future. Because he's called you even if you've been overlooked by the most important people in your life. Now, David wasn't even called uh, in the day that Samuel came. But God has anointed David in the meantime in front of his whole family. So the prophet says, listen, what a great selection. This is beautiful. But do you have another option for me, maybe? <laughs> now, I don't know if you, if you have this one family member that you just want to hide away. <laughs> you don't, you don't want to mention this guy uh, because maybe, maybe it's the most handsome member of your family and when when a girl comes over you want to hide this this family member because she's just going to fall in love with him she's going to overlook you when she sees him or maybe it's the weird one you want to hide away you don't want people to associate this person with you i don't know which one david was the bible later on says david was a very handsome reddish guy so he was like a nice looking ginger from what I can uh, gather from the Bible but I don't know I don't know why they hid David away I don't know why he was overlooked but Samuel the prophet of God says come on God says it's not one of these oaks and in front of all of his brothers God anoints David, signifying that he'd be the future king of the nation of Israel. So here in front of David's whole family, he's singled out by the prophet of God, the man of God, that he will be the next king. That the overlooked has a divine destiny called anointed by God. I'm speaking to someone who has been overlooked, even by the most important people, those closest to you, those who are supposed to believe in you. But God still has his eye on you.
you are called out, chosen, not forsaken, positioned, perfectly placed in life because He has a plan for you. He has called you by name, placed you with purpose. Now, what does David do next? Does, does he stand in the mirror after he's been anointed as future king? Does he stand in the mirror and practice his king wave? Does, does he uh, go to the closest jeweler and get his head measured to fit the crown? Does, does he go to the waterfront and shop for an Armani robe or a new watch or a new ring? No. The Bible says that David went back and forth to tend sheep for his father and play music for the current king, Saul. He went back and forth, back and forth to serve his dad and to serve his current king. He didn't practice his wave. He didn't get his head measured for the crown. He didn't go shopping on the king's budget. He went back and forth to serve his dad and to serve his king. 1 Samuel 17, 13 to 15 says, Jesse's three oldest sons, now Jesse is David's dad, Eliab, Abinadab and Shemiah, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army. But David, listen here, went back and forth so he could help his father, this is modern day English, for serve his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. Later on we read, and he went back and forth between his house and the, the camp or the palace to play music for the king. I wonder how many of you feel that same way today in your life. Going back and forth, serving a bunch of people that feels out of line for what you've been called that feels out of line, that feels kind of disconnected with this divine calling, this divine destiny that you dream about, that you feel, that you feel called to. All of David's brothers had gone to the front line of this battle where the action was. But David went back and forth to tend sheep. And I wonder how many of you today in your job, in your motherhood, in your fatherhood, in your family, in your career, in the places that you kind of serve in church, feel like everybody else around me is in the front line, is in the places where the action is. And you're just going back and forth, making coffee for your boss, changing diapers, uh, trying to teach your toddler to potty train, going back and forth in the insignificant things that may seem insignificant and unimportant to you, going back and forth in the job you don't even like. And I wonder how many stay-at-home moms, or even today there 
is something like a, a stay-at-home dad. I'm, I wonder how many receptionists, teachers, lawyers, full-time ministry staff, feels like they go back and forth changing diapers, printing documents, making coffee, one hour after the other. And it feels like you're busy with the insignificant task while everybody else is in the front line where the action is. Very, very close or maybe even in the divine destiny that they've been called for to do in this life. I'm 32 years old and my wife and I, we have two kids. And let me tell you, my wife can have a very successful practice and a very successful career, but she has dedicated herself for the next five years. She's about in the middle of the five years she's committed to, to spend 80%, 80% of her time at home with the kids and only 20% of her time working on her career. This has financial implications. This has emotional implications. This has psychological implications because let me tell you, our one kid is three years old, okay? He, and he's, he, he's like in between the very cute and very irritating phase <laughs> in his life right now. And it can be challenging, but it is amazing. But then we have a six-year-old daughter that had colic. That means that like 95% of the time that she's awake, she would cry for the first four months of her life. This is not what my wife had in mind. When she thought, oh great, we're getting a little baby girl. She had in mind shopping with this lady. Not being the outcast amongst the men in the house. Going for spa treatment. Uh, experiencing this, this connectedness between a mother and a daughter. But the first six months has been hell. It has been crying and screaming and back and forth to the pediatrician. Thousands and thousands of rands. <laughs> Unplanned. <laughs> Not in a budget. It doesn't seem in these moments and spaces in our lives like we are in the front line where the action is. To her, it seems like I'm changing another diaper. I'm giving another dose of medicine. I'm trying to console again. I'm trying to comfort again. I'm, it, it feels like nothing is helping again. This feels very insignificant, very draining, very small. And the interesting thing about those of you who feel like what you are doing in this life doesn't matter or maybe the activity that God has assigned to you is inconsequential and that there's nothing significant in your life. I'm here to tell you today that everything changes when you do the seemingly insignificant things in life for the significance of the cause 
of Christ. In my encouragement to you today, I want to tell you that if God has placed a great calling on your life, and let me tell you, He has, you, you need to start telling yourself that He's the one who shapes you. He's the one who knows you. He's the one who has placed you, who has formed you, who has anointed you, who has called you, and who has placed a mantle on you. And if God has called you to great things and you are in the space between the place where God has called you and the divine destiny and you feel like you are going back and forth and you are anointed to be king but in the meantime you are just tending some sheep and you are comforting a crying baby you are potty training a toddler you are awake every two hours you are making coffee for your boss you are printing documents for people way below your rank at the office you are excluded in meetings that you know is based on your idea. You are, are, are seeing that everybody in your life is getting promoted and getting excelled in life except you. And you are still going back and forth, back and forth. I'm here to tell you today, take courage because the most insignificant opportunities in life or things you do in life are, are basically in the kingdom of God, the small ways you can wholeheartedly commit yourself in faith to the significance God is calling you to. Let me give you an example of this. Many of you might think that us pastors preaching, uh, working full time for the church, and I've seen the judgmental looks in, in this series when we speak about calling. I see many of you think, Yo, Johan, easy for you to say. Easy for you to speak about tending the sheep uh, and, and being called and anointed but not walking in it uh, because you, you're living the calling dream. You're living the anointing dream, man. You're doing... Let me be real for you. Let me be real with you for... For a moment. At the age of around eight, I knew I was called for this, to preach the Word of God. I forgot a bit and then nine years later at the age of 17 I remembered again. And The moment at the age of 17 that I really, really knew that I was called, I have to tell you honestly that for the past 15 years, I've been going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I remember my first nine years in, in ministry, man, let me be honest with you. <laughs> I thought I was, I was going to become famous. That's really what I thought. In my second week of full-time ministry, I went on a small tour with Retief Berger and the Light Kills Band, leading worship with them, doing massive, massive uh, shows and worship evenings. We called it Schools for Christ. We even went up onto a mountain with a chopper and we set up a whole band there and over 2,000 kids were, were carrying a cross up on that mountain and I was the guy singing Christ on the top of that mountain 
with some of the biggest names in gospel music or church or whatever you want to call it. That was my second week. I was 19 years old, man. My second month, I was promoted from leading on, being only the leader of the worship team of the youth to being the leader of the entire congregation's worship teams. There was over 45 people under my leadership and I grew that team to almost double that in the next year. Man, I, I thought that I was going to be the next big gift to the church. Because <laughs> I knew I was called. I knew I was, I was anointed to do this work. By month three, they, they told me that they are going to go into a very intentional process with me to become to groom me to become the next leader of this youth ministry and young adult ministry that we were running at that stage. And then the back and forth started. I had this, this great future. I had this great calling and anointing. And then the hard work started. I was tested to serve and to serve and to serve in the back and forth and the back and forth and the back and forth. Then it all began. For me, it wasn't tending sheep. For me, it was tending technical gear. <laughs> four times a day, four days a week, for more than four and a half years. I took speakers, bass bins. If you don't know the technical terms of these things, just Google them because I don't have time to explain it all to you. I rolled up cables. I set up mixers. I set up LED light rigs. Listen here, I had to carry single-handedly as a skinny 19-year-old. I had to single-handedly load all of these equipment, drum kits, Keyboards, bass guitars, bass amp, electric guitars, Boss GT8 pedals for all the musicians out there. I had to rig it. I had to set it up. I had to sound check it myself. I had to, uh, to set up all these things. I had to carry them into a bucket, drive to a school, set everything up. Then we played two songs. Two songs! in a break time. Then I had to strike everything down because we only had an hour and a half, 90 minutes to go to the next school. So then we go there, I pack out everything again, I set up everything again. We play two songs. This we did four days a week for four times in each day. And we did this for four and a half years. I was the mule. I was the workhorse. I was the guy rolling up cables, fixing cables, 
carrying stuff, dusting it off. And at the end of every single day, because we didn't have insurance, we didn't have money for insurance, I couldn't leave everything in the bucket. We didn't have a garage at the church to lock the bucket in. So I had to carry everything out, pack it into the storeroom as neatly as I could possibly manage just to the next morning, half past six, pack everything back into the bucket again and everything repeated and cycled and cycled and cycled again. The pastor who preached in that time in every single gathering that we had, he seemed to have all these very important conversations with all these very important people and I was the work mule. I was the guy grinding and grinding and grinding and working and let me tell you, this isn't a pretty picture. I know you think like uh, this big muscular guy, you know, with a tank top, kind of uh, in a nice sweaty shine on his arms, you know, carrying things. No, I'm a skinny guy walking like the hunchback of Notre Dame trying to get these things done. But in that eight years, four and a half years in a city, well, almost, it was eight and a half years, four years in another city, in a small city called Polokwane, we started seeing revival. We started seeing on a Tuesday evening that over 600 children, teenagers, would come and kneel before Jesus, seek his face. They got to know him for who he truly is. We saw how teachers started to serve at this youth ministry. We saw how principals uh, made us the first call and the first responders when crisis hit in schools, when there were prayer meetings. We saw that we actioned a whole prayer movement where different schools were praying for one school when they were in crisis and in need of a principal. We saw people come together in the name of Jesus doing great things. We saw miracles. We saw people being touched by the healing hand of God. Then a few years later in the West Rand area, the grind continued. Different time, different church, same job, same back and forth. We saw revival there as well. At a stage, we would minister to over 3,000 teenagers in one single week. God has called you to serve. Thousands of teenagers got to know Jesus. And and here's what this has to do with David. And here's what this has to do with you. All of these teenagers, all of these people didn't come to Christ because I sang a nice song or someone else preached a nice sermon. They didn't come to Christ because they saw years and years of years of Bible teaching on DVD. That was before YouTube was a big thing. They came to Christ because there were people willing to serve a community that needed Jesus and they were willing to do it whatever the cost was. 
they were doing, they, they were willing to do the seemingly most insignificant task. Some rolled up cables, some quit their jobs, literally. Some took leave, some prepared for days, for, for days and days and days just to nail a sermon. Some prayed through the night, some fasted for weeks, some gave lots and lots of money and other resources. But all of these people came to Christ because I and several other people served with what we had. Sometimes it seems like what we have is very little and very insignificant. But Jesus teaches Matthew 25 verse 21. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. It is in the back and forth that we get tested. It's in the seemingly insignificant and small tasks that we prove that we are responsible and willing and faithful with the little. And in this process between when God has called us and when we feel this movement to a divine destiny, it's in the serving, it's in the insignificance, it's in the small tasks, it's in the pushing through, it's in the not so glamorous, it's in the very hard tasks, it's in the grind that we get tested with the little, with what we have in our hands. Where God prepares us for what he has called us for. The Bible says one day David's big opportunity came to be visible, to be in the front line of the action. But I want you to see how it came to him. And I'm ending off with this. I want you to see what led up to David killing Goliath on the front line of the battle, where the action is. 1 Samuel 17 Verse 19 to 23. One day, Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. Underline that word quickly. And give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. Underline captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they were doing. Underline bring back a report. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning, underline early, with the gifts. As Jesse had directed him, he arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelites and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried, underlined hurried, out to the ranks to, to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, 
came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. Now listen, this is crucial. You can't miss this. The reason that David was ever even within an earshot of the defiant cries of Goliath and the only reason that he was ever in a position to do something great for God was because he served and simply obeyed the directions of his father to take cheese to the chief commander. He needed to take bread for his brothers and chiefs for the chief commander. Basically, David was a glorified pizza delivery boy. But because he was faithful, his father told him to hurry. And he did that. He didn't walk like this, say, oh no, I'm just a pizza delivery boy. I was anointed like a few weeks ago, man. I'm the future king. Now you send me a delivery. It was the taunt of Goliath that sparked the rage and the fury inside of David. But he was only in earshot. He was only in the proximity to hear the taunt of the giant because of his faithfulness, his obedience, and his servant heart to deliver as the future king to deliver the cheese <laughs> to the commander in charge. Think with me for a moment. What would Caladia look like? What would your household, your workplace, your families look like if every single member, if every single person who calls this place home started running to the battle lines to do the most insignificant thing for the most insignificant purpose seemingly and in eventually ending up for the most significant purpose with wholehearted intensity, with a full throttle devotion to God. This past Sunday at our Benoni campus, I was looking for one of our volunteers. I wanted to ask him something. Couldn't find him before the service. After the service and after the baptism, I'm searching for this guy. I find him with a palm branch and gloves on his hands, busy sweeping the whole property because there was so much debris of the storm the previous night that he decided that when the church people leave, this place will look better than when we found it. This is a wholehearted devotion to the service of Christ. Let me explain something to you. If God could use a shepherd's boy his simple obedience to take cheese and bread to his brothers and to the commander in charge on the battle lines. Couldn't he use you volunteering at children's ministry, greeting people at the door, handing out communion, packing chairs in a straight line? Couldn't he use a seemingly insignificant task 
to propel someone or even you into a divine destiny. You are called to serve and yes, you are anointed for greatness. Yes, you are called by God to do great, great things. But it starts when you do what you can with what you have. Maybe for some it means fixing cables, fitting strings, sweeping patios so that other people doesn't have to stand on leaves and branches and the debris of a storm. Maybe it means pouring water or editing sermons or videos or printing charts or packing speakers in and out four times a day, four days a week for four and a half years. I don't know what your life looks like. What could God do through your simplest acts of obedience, through your simplest acts of service in your family, in your marriage, in this congregation. And do not for a moment think that I imply that it ever stops. That the back and forth and the serving ever stops. David had to serve continuously throughout his whole life. Even when he was king, eventually. Currently, I am serving someone on God's orders. And let me tell you, it's not glamorous. Again in my life, I'm going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. In the first week, we spoke about the fact that it's not about what we do, but it's about who we are becoming. Jesus said that I didn't come to be served, but I came to this earth to serve. Me and you are not the exceptions to that rule. We are called to serve so that we can live a life worthy of the divine destiny, worthy of the calling, worthy of the anointing that God has placed on our lives. I'm ending off with this to say that every small thing you do really matters. Every single day, I pray for those little children of mine. And I pray that Joel and Minky will be the greatest man and greatest woman for God's kingdom and God's glory in their generation. If your kids are in the same generation as my, my kids, I'm sorry, but they're going to win because I am praying that over them every single night. It doesn't matter how angry I am. It doesn't matter how tired I am. It doesn't matter in what kind of mood I am. I'm praying that over their lives every single evening, God may Joel, God may Minky be the greatest man and greatest woman for your glory in the kingdom of God in their generation. But I can't pray that prayer without them observing a dad who serves his, his wife. Without a dad who serves his children. Without a dad serving his boss his colleagues, his congregants. Without a dad 
adopting the posture of David, the posture of Jesus, the posture of every great person who has ever done anything great in the kingdom of God. We are called to serve. He has called you. He has anointed you. He has placed destiny inside of you. But we are called to grind, to work hard, wholeheartedly chase after the divine destiny through service in the space between the calling and the front line in the battlefield before we defeat the giant. So close your eyes with me. Maybe today you can pray this prayer and say, Lord, here I am. It doesn't look glamorous. It's not at all what I thought it would be. But I'm available. I will be faithful. I will make the sacrifices what's necessary. I'm willing to do the small, seemingly insignificant things. And I will do them wholeheartedly, passionately, full throttle for your glory. To live a life worthy of the divine destiny, of the anointing, of the calling. I will be humble. I will go back and forth. I will serve and I will place myself in a position of obedience, faithfulness, to wholeheartedly and passionately serve you and your kingdom even if it looks small and insignificant. Here I am, God. Use me. Cultivate your favor and power and destiny in me so that I can live a life worthy of who you are and who you have called me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Go and live like a chosen one, like a called one, like God has a divine destiny for you. Go and serve wholeheartedly, passionately, vigorously, and see and taste that God is still good. See you next week, same time, same place. Bless you.